0: are listening to the Bondzilla podcast. The Bondzilla podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week the Bondzilla podcast gets groovy baby as we take a look at 1997's Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. Oh behave. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome uh, to another episode of the Bondzilla podcast. I am one of your hosts. That is Nick. I am the other one of your hosts, yes.
1: and that's Will.
0: And uh, we are back for more Bond-adjacent, Bond-related uh, things to discuss And uh, I think this one's going to be a little bit groovy, baby. I think that's that's where we're going to be going.
1: I'm hoping this one gets to one million listens.
0: That would be uh, quite a podcast (laughs) feed. I don't know that there's a lot of podcasts that have one episode in the millions of listens. Like I know there's podcasts that probably have like... You know, of well, totals millions of listens, but that million of listens is a Nick, lot. Nick, like, those
1: were podcasts back in the day. You know, now podcasts get one trillion yeah. listens, uh, or one billion listens, yeah. one hundred gazillion, gazillion listens. Yeah, so uh, in
0: case you just clicked the episode and not looked at the title, uh, we are looking at the 1997 mm. comedy Austin Powers: International Man of Mystery. Yes,
1: um, this this one this one definitely was the like kind of like a no brainer in the adjacent section. Well, yeah, I think absolutely. when we even started that, like yeah. it was always like in like the top five. Like, like things we would need we were to talk gonna, about, yeah. and it's and I think it's actually a good time to finally tackle it because we've had we've been so entrenched in Bond thus far that we kind of were able to get a a different a breath of fresh air with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Darin and Darby O'Gill. Um, and, and, and through that, actually, we're, we're able to learn even more about uh, the behind the scenes and background behind mm-hmm. certain aspects of the Bond franchise. But it's always good to go back to the reason that we talk about, you know, these franchises on this podcast in the first place. Because as we've said many times, that um, these movies have inspired uh, so many tropes, so many, you know, pieces of uh, uh, cinematic recognition and... Um, and And in this case, uh spoofs spoofery is a foot, and uh so th- it was always like a no brainer that we were going to get into this,
0: yeah, and I just think it's just another aspect of the iconicness of you know pop we've been looking at iconicness of pop culture, and I think that and I think this is something we'll definitely discuss as the episode goes on, but there's a lot of aspects of the Austin Powers film, sure, especially that you know that first one. And it's, like, legacy that kind of really relate to
1: kind of the Bond franchise. Well, in some ways, it it, it has – Austin Powers did become that other kind of, like, um, proxy getting into the whole – into Bond, in a way, because, Mm -hmm. like, the entire – um like backbone of the of the franchise is all the things you quote unquote know about Bond. So that that's like one of the biggest like aspects of it. Because I think probably I had watched an Austin Powers movie before my first James Bond movie. Right. Yeah. If if I'm really thinking about it carefully. But even though you're watching that you you are very much aware yeah. what the movie is, is that this is what it's spoofing. It's spoofing James Bond. And especially films. because
0: too, um this is why what- one of the things to really think about is that there's really not a whole huge history of specifically, like, spy sp- spoof, surprisingly. Like, there's definitely been spy comedies and, like, things that take the spy idea and put it off a jumping, you know, a jumping point for comedy, stuff like, the, you know, Mel Brooks's Good Smart TV series right? Spies right. Like Us. But there's really, like, in terms of the traditional, like, spoof, and even Austin Powers, to an extent, does its, like, own thing, um, but it really is, like, there's not that many... What you would call like parody movies or spoofs of the Bond franchise. You're right. In terms yeah. Of, well, like, because like movies.
1: You're right. Like something like Get Smart is, you know, kind of a, a it's more of the comedy it's, angle. Yes, it's
0: more of the comedy angle. Whereas
1: Austin Powers is very much on its right. sleeve. Like we're making fun of the James Bond films. And I
0: think it's also, it's just interesting because like, you know, it, it's just kind of like, because again, it's Get Smart's a Mel Brooks production. And I kind of feel like maybe if he didn't do Get Smart as a TV series, that Spies would have been something he. Could have he could have done.
1: I actually don't know if you know this. Do you know that I'm a huge Get Smart fan? I
0: did not actually. I
1: oh dude, I love Get Smart, and eventually we're gonna have to talk about it on the podcast yeah. because Get Smart was Get Smart was one of the. Because remember when you're like I don't know maybe it's different for everybody, but there was that age when you're a kid. Now I would kind of go back and watch TV Land. I would be interested yeah. in it, but then when you're a kid, sometimes you're like ah TV Land, nah. Get yeah. Smart was the one show on TV land that I would not, I would like always tune in when there was a marathon and I, and I thought it was the funniest thing that ever, like Maxwell smart, all of his, all of his jokes. Like what, what's like the famous one when he's like, would you believe? uh," Yeah. (laughs) It's like, would you believe that it's a 20 guards standing out with AK 47s? How about a boy scout with a BB gun? (laughs) Like, it's like, ah, classic classic it's, jokes I
0: mean, it, it, listen like I said it's a Mel Brooks production like, yeah so that's not surprising oh, I love it I can't good.
1: believe you didn't know that about me No, like, no I, I, I have the whole first season on DVD did
0: that I don't even actually think I know that yeah right no I love get smart uh, but no that's something we definitely do but I feel like I said like I feel like you know that could have been something that he did in his film career if he hadn't like done that in his, in his television career. sure but sure. I do feel like also because like I think like even like you know one is just like again the franchise is so specific you know i think it's also that this, there's a sense that the bond franchise is already so over the top right. sometimes that right. like you just you know you want to take things you want to take on things that take themselves more seriously, like uh, you know Mel Brooks doing like Hitchcock and right, and right. even like you know. Well, well, because
1: like even like if you look at a Get Smart, it, it's a comedy, yeah. but it, it's still a fairly straightforward like mission procedural type like a yeah. show where it's like there is actually like a thread, and they have to like do the mission and everything. Um, though, the, to be fair, and I think as we'll get into. Uh, as we transition back into our film of yeah. the day, is that we'll find out that there there are there are some attempts at um, at, at actually you know injecting a little bit of uh, personality and like legitimate like heart into the in, into the into these films as well because oh, I yeah. think also well, we should say and maybe maybe I'm being presumptuous with this one we're talking about. Ultimately, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Yes. Throughout this podcast, can we consider this an an Austin Powers episode where we probably just end up talking about... The, the, the franchise, the franchise yeah, as a whole. Yeah,
0: so we'll probably... Because we've only watched the one movie. Right. Because it would be it would have been insane for us Fr- to watch all and three.
1: Frankly, and frankly, in what's going to be interesting talking about it, probably the movie that I have the least history with is the first one. Yeah,
0: because there's... No, and again, this is something we'll get into, but it's it's one of those things where knowing where the franchise goes, it's amazing like what stuff is... Because there's a lot of very famous stuff that isn't established in that first one. There's very much famous right. characters and scenarios that... Are very much those other two No, no, no. sorry.
1: I didn't say that. I meant Rye.
0: Right. <laughs> we're going to jump back now to. We're actually going to jump back to. So we're also talking about 1997's Austin yeah. Powers International Man of Mystery, directed by Jay Roach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to jump back to 93 because we're getting off of Mike Myers, who basically has jumped. You know, he's still kind of doing, you know, SNL. Um, he does SNL through '95, um, but you know he's kind of jumping out into the pop culture mainstream a little bit more with the Wayne's World movies because he does Wayne's World, right, and mm-hmm. Wayne's World Two in '93. Uh, but he's starting to kind of think about more what he would want to do and write, uh, for himself, um, and projects that he would like to pursue, uh, especially because uh, you know in a post Wayne's World Two world where he's written these movies and helped you know you know be the creative force on them, that he does have a little bit of you know, ability to pitch, ability to pull into, like, what he wants to do. Uh, And so he considers um, his family and his father and the inspiration he got from his father. So his father is – because Mike Myers is a Canadian, Mm -hmm. uh, not British, Um, but his father – mike uh, mike myers's father was very big into kind of the classic british like kind of comedies so the stuff like of dudley moore peter cook michael Caine, mm. uh peter sellers of course and
1: it's also funny the michael Caine thing too yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, considering where this goes yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just like that
0: kind of like classic like late 60s early 70s like you know yeah. gentleman like kind of comedy type of thing mm-hmm. you know uh especially stuff like arthur with dudley moore and the original Bedazzle with dudley moore and peter cook and you know kind of even stuff like the original italian job and myers was just like when he started getting the acting he was like well i always wanted to play a british character and i always wanted to kind of do something like that and started to develop a couple ideas and austin Powers is kind of a amalgamation of a lot of different aspects of kind of where myers went mm-hmm. um so he started to basically. One of the main starts of inspiration was he just basically one time he came home with his wife and he started to just, you know, as he does, improvise flirtations in a British accent. Mm-hmm. And Mike's wife was very into it and thought it was very funny overall. And he said, Well, you should like write this down this bit. Maybe you can put it in a, in a sketch or something. But that was really the beginnings of the Austin Powers character. Um, Which would develop, and then Myers would take that character to do improv shows with the Groundlings uh, that he would just kind of appear at because he loved to do improvisation, of course. Mm He formed kind of a fake 60s British band uh, in his post-SNL days, just for fun. Uh, Something similar to kind of what uh, um, uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi did earlier in the 80s with the Blues Brothers, which that turned into a movie. And Mm -hmm. and, while the band aspect of... Whereas the Blue Brothers actually became a really major blues band within the '80s. Uh, that fake British band didn't do much other than like like local LA shows, but that kind of helped develop the Austin Powers character. And, and that's
1: interesting. That's fascinating because that's something I don't think your average person would know is that there that that's where like the the origins would come from. Mm-hmm. Now, is, is it in that same? Because that's ultimately is that like what's emulated in the the credits of of this film? Kind of like, yeah. yeah, like to, kind of it, that sort of aspect,
0: yeah. and and like the little interstills that sort of right. Because I'm
1: curious, at what point did the character get developed into that kind of like very colorful, like groovy baby, like you know, and kind of you, like hit, like hit, like hippie? Like it cool definitely guy.
0: developed out of out of that, mm-hmm. and and definitely developed out of those kind of cla Like, because I think this is another thing that that at, um, Myers that Myers has said he was interested in was kind of that '60s aspect. and just like. The Beatles and like just kind of and and that culture mm-hmm. of the sixties that definitely matches up in at the same time that you were making like the Connery Bonds and stuff like right. that and how, you know, that spy would really be. But I think it just kinda of comes from just a lot of different aspects of, of Myers just kind of going off the wall and then right like kind of refining that character to what is in mm. is in the movie. Um so basically like in ninety five he starts coming up with this idea for this Austin Powers character to be involved with a movie. Um, And basically his idea is, well, what if you had like this big – basically what the movie is, like what if you had this big kind of 60s personality – like, what if you took a Dudley Moore or, like, a Peter Cook or Michael Caine out of one of those movies mm. and then brought him into the 90s? And, mm. and how would that, you know, be obviously a little bit more over the top for for Michael Myers to play? Right. um But, like, in that kind of aspect, like, that kind of classic British kind of, you know, character from the 60s, bring him into the, you know, into the 90s mm. and, and kind of have some fun with it. As well as, like, kind of playing, because as well as those... um classic British films that his dad um, also was very much into early James Bond. And so to kind of play with that a little bit more, um, especially within the 95 when there are rumblings of this Bond franchise making a comeback. Mm. Uh, cause okay. Because it, cause That's it fair. had been out of sorts in a little bit. He felt like it would be a good opportunity to just kind of do something fun. Right. now, like So
1: the, the spy aspect was more of a way to make the concept a little bit more like Novel and irreverent. Yes. Like, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I want to do, like, a spy thing. Because it, it, it's interesting, and we're going to get to, like, exactly what's so fascinating about this movie and this character and this conceit, was is that ultimately it's something that it, – it's two pieces of that, like, groovy 60s thing and then the James Bond thing yeah. that – that and I, I will play my hand a little or show my hand a little bit more and be, say like for comedy it definitely works, but it definitely wasn't like it's not like James Bond is like known by being like a groovy sixties hipster, right? No. So it's interesting to see that like a like what came first, the the hipster or the spy? And it was and I, it kind of sounds like all right, he was developing this kind of like groovy personality and like oh, what would make this like fun? Well, what if this guy was like a James Bond type?
0: Yeah. Uh, I I think that's really the case because I think Myers has been very clear that he didn't just want to make like, you know, like a parody. You know, he he was very much like he didn't want to do just a straight up like, you know, like airplane type movie, like, right? Like the Naked mm-hmm. like, Gun stuff, where it's just basically like here's just like a you know distinct parody of something and it's distinct jokes. He wanted right. to kind of develop his own character. He's, he's develop in he was interested in making this Austin Powers character sure work in his own movie and sure. just like kind of. As his ideas for the script evolve, it kind of naturally laid into the spy aspect. He, he
1: wants the he wants the character in the movie with that it, he's in to stand up on its own outside of just like oh we're just having some yucks. Yes, um, and so because that's an, because that's a good reference point. Like if you use like Naked Gun or air, like Naked Gun is or like was it like Hot Shots is that that the other one yes those movies are great yes absolutely but they are just kind of like joke like you know joke machines yes surrounded yeah. around a conceit like yes. that. that's oh, really very all they so. are yeah. um
0: any like you know and it's like he wanted to do it i think a little bit more in the mel Brooks, the classic mel Brooks style where mm, yeah you know you do a parody or do an homage mm-hmm. uh to something but you also kind of create your own yeah story you're
1: ultimately running. telling your own like kind of story and making it your own yeah
0: so he basically kind of comes up with this kind of decent you know kind of concept for a movie uh brings it you know, kind of it's like okay. Well, I'm working on this, and then he brings it to his friend Jay Roach at a party, and mm. just is like, "Hey, this is a, something I'm working on. Like, what do you, what do you think?" And and Jay Roach like loves the idea, but basically gives him a bunch of notes that would develop into kind of these other characters. And here we can kind of parody this and and this. And as they talked, it was very much like the clearness of it's that type of movie where. You know, they want to more so like poke fun at the thing they love more so than like you know tearing it down, which is like I think more so in that kind of hot shots and airplane type of deal where Mm -hmm. it's like there's a genuine love for those as as Myers said there's a genuine love for those like Connery bonds right uh, especially which is is where the movie takes a lot of its Bond inspiration from and they wanted to kind of be like well we want to make a movie like that. Well, uh, but, just, I mean, like, but more... that's not
1: too dissimilar from the best Mel Brooks works Absolutely. like if you take like your Young Frankenstein's or your Blazing Saddles those are ultimately love very letters. reverent to yeah. either a western or like the black and white horror films oh, yeah. and then they just happen to be comedies I like I
0: would say like even his more obscure ones in that regard like like High Anxiety which is a Hitchcock film is a very much a love letter to Hitchcock mm. and, and Silent Movie which is like an unbelievable kind of like gem is just more so like, again, taking the tropes of the silent movie, but just making like, that's really a movie that I would love to talk about sometime because silent movie is Mel Brooks is having a power play mm. because he's just like, I'm just going to make a silent movie because I can, because I made blazing saddles. <laughs> well, uh, but, but in that but you're, you're exactly yeah. right. It's very much still in that realm of just like, we just want it. It's kind of like, it really is like because when Mel Brooks makes something like a high anxiety, it's like, "Well, I just kind of want to make a Hitchcock movie and I want to play with that style." Right. And I don't think it's so dissimilar. Where it's like, "Well, we just want to kind of make an old school Bond movie, especially knowing that any Bond movie they make in a modern day, which you know, which would become Goldeneye Knight coming out that year that he wrote the movie, um, would be to something that like you know is a little more down to earth now and still has like the over the topness, but is a little more kind of to the ground." I think just kind of bringing up like the old kind of old school sets and the old school like bigness of those movies. Right, mm-hmm. I think is something that they were very. I mean,
1: even in this movie, down to the score and the musical score, it's like everything about like all of its DNA is such James Bond and and, and all the and all that. Yeah. So, uh,
0: so basically, uh, he starts bringing around the the script and. Basically, it's just like, well, we have this solid idea now. Roach has given me some good notes. We're gonna start bringing it around to people, and eventually, they get the New Line Cinema, mm. uh, and who uh, the the um, the head of a New Line at the time loves this the idea, loves the script, and especially with the success of Goldeneye, they feel like they have an opportunity to jump onto something here. Mm. Um, but the New Line uh, president is just like, I'm definitely just all in on this. Um, you guys uh, you guys have something unique here um, something like interesting something different than the other comedies going around Hollywood even mm. something different than what like Wayne's world was and kind of the more romantic sitcom com-
1: type of comedies that were out there at the time because um, like I said it, it's definitely a unique amalgamation of how to make fun mm-hmm. of a spy movie as yeah. well and
0: Myers was very happy with with new line, and basically they were saying like, "Just this is you. This is Mike Myers. We want Mike Myers. We want the Mike Myers who did, you know, Wayne's World, Wayne's World Two. We trust you. So just kind of go ahead and yeah. do it."
1: Because this, is, yeah, this was back when like you know Mike Myers was the shit. Yeah, I mean like this was. I mean, I mean again, this was Myers. like a rising star type yeah. of
0: deal. Like his, because again, you can't discount like the the big success of the Wayne's World movies and the fact that like you know well Myers was a very much a creative force and it's like you have Myers and Danny Carvey and obviously Danny Carvey's career goes in a whole different direction mm-hmm. but Myers is the really the one who's writing and producing and sure and like you know one decides to make Austin Powers the other one eventually makes Master of Disguise mm-hmm. which is not a movie we'll be watching <laughs> as much as I want to join the turtle club we're not going to watch the Master of Disguise um but then basically Myers has the whole you know kind of kitten caboodles it's like well you can do what you want and so Myers pushes for Jay Roach to be the director of the movie and you know everybody's like well we just don't want to hire your friend to do the movie we want him to do a good pitch but Roach is at this point he becomes like a major comedy director post Austin Powers but at the time he was doing an independent lot of independent cinema he had just made a movie about Hitler and that was kind of You know, accessible in the independent circuit, and mostly what got Roach on board with New Line was just his own passion for the movie. Um, They uh, Roach said that he basically like just talked about it, and you could see the light in his eyes. And then Roach actually storyboarded out the Fembot sequence in the movie, and basically everybody at New Line laughed at it, and basically like, okay, you've got the job, and they told Myers and Roach, okay, we're giving you like twenty million, no more, no less do what you need to do Mm -hmm. and so they're like okay let's go for it uh so they begin kind of putting the finishing touches on it myers knows that he's going to be doing a lot of improvisation in the movie and roach kind of wants that out of myers because that's what myers again is pretty much known for um but they do kind of put together this this solid script and try to kind of get all those aspects that they want to explore they want to explore the 60s and kind of how that 60s culture translates into the 90s. They want to have some fun with the Bond aspect and the spy aspect of it and just make a funny comedy. Mm-hmm. That's their kind of goal. Uh, and really, it's a generally smooth production. Uh, there's a couple of production stories to, to get through, but uh, we'll start with some casting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Myers, of course, because it's this character he developed, is always meant to play the Austin Powers role. Uh there's never there was never a question that Myers wasn't going to play it. Right. It's just like I this I'm writing this role for myself. I'm making this movie cuz I want to play a British guy. You know, that's the whole thing. Uh but Dr. Evil Which n-
1: spoiler alerts? He plays he also plays yeah. Dr. Evil. <laughs> uh,
0: so Dr. Evil was not intended to be a Mike Myers role.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, oh, I I do think I
1: you're going to tell me the story and then yeah. it's going to pop up. So in my the brain. original
0: plan, the original pitch was for Dr. Evil to be played by Jim Carrey. That
1: that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Now. Uh, I so Jim
0: Carrey was in negotiations for the role of Dr. Evil. Yeah. And wait, uh,
1: you, you know, that means, that means I hear an IMDB trivia saying Jim Carrey was almost in this movie with Mike Myers. Jim Carrey played the Grinch and Mike Myers played another dr seuss character (laughs) the cat that imdb trivia for the win (laughs) yes
0: uh but unfortunately for carrie carrie was interested but he had scheduling conflicts with his his own movie liar liar Mm. uh which goddamn pen is blue yeah uh which prevented him from joining the movie so then to myers was a little bit thrown off at that because that was a lot of the stuff in this movie was written
1: for specific people mm. that he knew or wanted to work with, and oh, man, can you imagine? Well, it's one of those things where it's like, could you imagine like Jim Carrey as Doctor Evil? Like it's I mean, something I want to see, but but you really can't imagine anybody else as Doctor Evil right. at this point. Well, I
0: mean, I probably honestly would have been not too different than like what he's doing with robotnik right now kind of you know yes what yeah what we robotnik see in the sonic with, trailer yeah. yeah with robotnik with a little bit more of like, like 90s carry energy like that it probably would have been very similar to that
1: looking at those that that one trailer for sonic the hedgehog that's definitely what he would have done with dr yeah. evil 100 so
0: myers was a little bit thrown off because like again he had written it with Carrie in mind and now that Carrie couldn't do it he really didn't have any of their ideas until it was suggested to him that, why don't you also play Dr. Evil? And really, it kind of came from, as stupid as it is, it kind of came from the fact that there's that scene in the movie where it's like, we're not so different, you and I, and wouldn't it be funny if you were just playing both characters? Uh-huh. It's just something that's simple that simple, does the suggestion. That's and, funny. And Myers was very much like, game for it yeah, so yeah that's awesome um so myers decides he is going to play dr evil and he kind of mixes it he's it's a mix for him he's doing obviously dr evil is very much based on the donald pleasance um Blofeld. version of Blofeld yeah. from uh, mm-hmm. you only live twice which is actually probably the most major influence like the most bond movie that the movie takes influence of her most right just in terms of how they presents dr evil and how the plan and kind of the big base and everything like that um but also obviously the movie takes other notes from from rush with love dr no basically all those connery movies like they kind of mix and mingle all of them but you only live twice is kind of the main kind of inspiration uh but the voice specifically comes from michael myers impersonating dana carvey's impersonation of lauren michaels Mm. uh producer of snl yeah uh, to the point where I've heard Dana Carvey
1: talk about this yes. actually, yeah,
0: yeah. That's basically kind of like a take on that, and and Myers admits that like it's a take on on his on Lauren, but like not exactly, obviously, right, it's right. More well, because
1: I've heard like Dana Carvey talk about like that thing where it's like when he originally did that, it was kind of weird, but yeah, whatever. Life is short. Yeah. Like it just kind of, but it was like one of those like right. things because I know like how you know comedians kind of taking or bits from other comedians can be a very Mm -hmm. touchy subject so i do remember hearing a little bit about that
0: yeah uh but basically and then even he said like lauren had a thing for a while where he had a little pinky thing Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah he's like well he doesn't do it anymore but i just kind of took it from that Mm -hmm. and he was very much game to just put on the makeup and just kind of do nonsense and and Myers kind of admits that as much as he enjoys Austin Powers, like doing Dr. Evil and The Voice and everything right. is, is just too well, much but, fun.
1: But, but some of this goes down to what some of the genius of, the, of this series of movie is in terms of conception, because – the reference points for, it's not like, you're you're right, Myers is trying to make his own thing. He's not just being like, all right, Donald Pleasence, Blofeld, and then we'll just do a funny version of that. He's like taking all these little bits and creating, uh, like this, using that as kind of like the the starting point and then ultimately takes all these other reference points to make a, it's his own character. Cause when you think about it, like, cause for years you're just like, where, where does the, the pinky thing in the Dr. Evil come from? And now that's the Dr. Evil thing. And it's kind of crazy. Like that's not from like a bond movie. That's just from some kind of like inside joke that they had.
0: Yep. So basically then, and he just kind of develops the character. And even once he takes the role of Dr. Evil, that character again gets developed a lot more through the improvisation mm-hmm. of of Myers. Um but then you have lots more as a supporting cast. Mm, uh, right. But again most of it's like kind of people that he wanted to work with like you know Elizabeth Hurley was his first choice for uh Vanessa. Van- uh, Vanessa um where she got the offer, and then her boyfriend at the time was Hugh Grant. And Hugh mm-hmm. Grant was like, You got to work with Mike Myers. He's like one of the funniest people on the planet. Like, you got to do it. That's, so that's, that's that. awesome. Uh, we also have number two, yeah, uh, who is a distinct parody of the Maximilian Largo character from uh, Thunderball. That's played by Robert Wagner, who has a connection to the Bond franchise mm-hmm. in the sense that he. Mary's Jill St. John, who was in Diamonds Are Forever, who's <laughs> part funny. of that there's part of that whole controversy with Natalie Wood thing. uh uh-huh, uh-huh. that, yeah, that whole thing is there too. Um, that one was like again written for him in mind. Um, but there was a little bit of like he didn't know if he had scheduling conflicts. So their backup was Larry Thomas, who was the soup Nazi on Seinfeld. Mm. So he basically was, you know, in negotiations when they could didn't know if Robert Randton was gonna be available. Robert Wagner did it, but they offered Larry Thomas a cameo. I was about to say, the
1: Soup Nazi got, got yeah. his role in the and movie, though. It was
0: only because there's actually a lot of, like, Seinfeld actors in this yes. movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because, like, Myers and Roach were both big fans of the Seinfeld show. So they got, like, soup Nazi guy because he's like, well, we, we couldn't get you in this role, but, you know, we want you in the movie somehow. It's yeah. basically like Myers was given opportunities for people that he likes. So, like, the Wigmaster master from Season 7 is tour guide and Babu Bad is the head of the UN Security Council. He's just like, I, if I can get you guys paid and get you some more roles, like, here, like take them. Right. Uh, Seth Green? Yes, of uh, course. So, so Seth Green had got two tables, uh, two offers on the table simultaneously. Uh, he had this movie and the Carrot Top movie, Chairman of the Board. Uh, but but he said, uh, Threen said that the reason he took Austin Powers, one, he liked the script better, but two, he was doing a David Mamet play on, on Broadway at the time. Uh-huh. And so he took a look at the, like he was just in this mode of like kind of like, character acting and like kind of like really serious stuff so he took a look at the character of scott evil it's like well if i play this like straight like a drama this would be like a lot of fun Mm. if i'm like if i'm in the middle of this goofy comedy and playing off of this weird you know mike myers like lauren michaels impersonation that's how
1: you know seth green is a good dude i think yeah like or at least has a is a good has some good taste yeah
0: it's like it's basically like if I play this like I'm in a drama like like, like a melodrama type of deal. Uh-huh. I, I think that would be the most fun, especially playing off of Mike. So he would would do that. Um we also have another direct pawn parody in the Frau uh Farbicina character,
1: Frau Farbicina. Frau Farbicina. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Uh, who is basically a parody of Rosa Klebb from, um, from Russia with love, mm-hmm. as well as the similar character that's in uh, you only do twice. Uh, I'm sorry. uh imagine Magic Secret service. And she was basically kind of played by Mindy Sterling, uh, who was basically like when Myers was originally testing the Austin powers character, he would go to the groundlings improv shows and he would just, you know, go on stage as a surprise or as a guest and do it. And, Mindy had played, like, a German type of character in one of those sketches with with him, and basically he thought that was really funny. So he's like, again – I the-
1: almost guarantee you she did the yell yes. at one point yes. during that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um. But then basically, like, a lot of – again, it was a lot more like, hey, we're just getting people that we like. Mm-hmm, and, right. and it was very much like that kind of smooth way in, in doing that. Uh, the one I will mention, by the way, and this is a very random fact for a very random task character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, this is one of those things where you're just like doing research and you're kind of doing a double take. And uh-huh, it's like, uh-huh. I, it's I love re- it when that happens. It's You can't not mention this, even though it's, it's kind of dark. I'm going to say this right okay, now. Okay. All right. <laughs> At
1: least I get the forewarning this yeah, time.
0: So basically, um, Joe Sun was the actor. Uh, mm-hmm. For the character
1: of uh, the character in uh, the film Random, random Task. Task, who's a parody off of Odd Job, Odd Job, yes, and yeah. so basically
0: like like the requisite henchman character, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the kind of one or two henchman type of characters in this movie. Um, but he was basically arrested in two thousand eight uh, when there's a DNA ma- DNA match linked him to a uh, torture crime from the nineteen nineties. What? And the woman had said that she had actually owned Austin Powers on DVD uh-huh. and didn't realize for a long time but that was him. it was him in the movie.
1: So wait, so you're just some lady who was tortured in the 90s at yes, one point, and yes. then you're just watching. You, like, one day you're just like, oh, let's pop in Austin Powers. We'll, we'll have a few laughs. Yeah. Maybe we're doing a podcast on uh, and it's James like, Bond and Godzilla. And, then, and they, then we pop it in, and you're just like, wait a minute. Yeah. That guy tortured me in yeah. the '90s. Well,
0: basically, because then, like, there was a DNA match, and it was like kind of a thing where they found like evidence that he had done it. Right? She were like, "Oh my God, that is that guy!" Holy like, shit! Uh, so, in 2017, he went to, um, uh, oh, so he went to jail in 2008, and then in 2017, he got an additional 27 years for murdering his cellmate. So the dude was not not a good dude. Not a good dude, but yeah. I mean, he played a good random task. Yeah.
1: So. Did he throw a shoe at the guy? <laughs> Might have. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh boy.
0: So basically, from there, um, they they just kind of make the movie, right? Shoot mm-hmm. most of it in L.A., a little bit in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um. They uh, also have a lot of fun just with the movie as a whole. There's a lot of improvisation. Uh, like I said, like uh, Myers estimates that about forty percent of the movie you see on screen was improvised. Mm. Uh, the most infamous—that's a small number, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah a, I mean that you, you would think it'd be more. It, it'd actually, be more, yeah. but
0: like he was very much like you know, game for anybody to just do anything like that. Mm-hmm. The most infamous improvisation was the um, shushing sequence. Yes uh where roach has said that he shot you know you do like the the one you do like you do you know myers you know you do the myers stuff seth is off camera and then you switch and do like all that stuff Mm -hmm. and then during the set he had shot all of myers stuff and then he turned to seth and then myers started doing the shushing thing just kind of out of the blue and roach was immediately like i know we're gonna have to do all the myers stuff over again and we're just gonna you know take us like the rest of the day and we're going to be a little bit behind gotta get those but,
1: double cameras up man gotta, yeah yeah
0: but then it's like you know we got it we got to do more because yeah. like multi-cam we gotta, baby yeah well that was the other thing about roach is that roach one of his approaches to the movie was he wanted to do it old school mm. like he wanted to do it like with kind of old older school cameras and, was it on film did they shoot, yes, it film? shoot it on film oh yeah
1: there you go you can't, it, shoot it can't on, do that then yeah
0: shoot yeah. it on film like old school stunt work uh, which Myers said was was good because it kind of captured the old feelings, but also ended up saving them a little bit of money because yeah. they didn't have to do like you know '90s digital. Well, that stuff. was like
1: the biggest thing. It's like when you were saying like this came out around the same time as GoldenEye. Like it, it look. I mean, not that it looks like an old film, but it definitely looks a slightly older than the time that it actually takes place in. But that that was just kind of. That, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, but it, it, again, it, it, it it's a benefit too because it gives it that quality of an old James Bond movie. Yeah.
0: Exactly. But it was just like kind of, Myers said it was like the, what he called the no money fun that were, they were having, that they were just kind of going a little bit more old school to kind of save a little bit on the budget, but also to capture kind of that feeling. Because they really wanted to go in on being those old Connery movies, just kind of in a larger, spoofier right. way. Mm. Um, there was also kind of this aspect of. Um, the movie having a little bit of, you know, kind of cheapness to it, of course, mm-hmm. uh, one way. So the big base fight at the end uh, was filmed in a power plant in L.A. Mm. And the idea was, well, they were like from the city, they were getting all these approvals and stuff. And they were like, well, this is a backup power plant that's not really in use. It's like used to be more for like if there's like a you know electrical issue somewhere. Uh, but, you know, it should be quiet, should be empty so we can do whatever we want. Well, the week they were shooting, there was a brownout around L.A., so they had to activate this new other power plant. But they were like, oh, you should be fine. We're going to, you know, we'll be we'll be out of your way. But all the generators were on. It was very loud. So basically, they were trying to shoot this, like, kind of big, crazy action sequence. And um, they were like, Roach had to, like, you know, everybody had to wear headphones because it was so loud until the shooting started. Then everybody had to take them off. And Roach was, like, yelling directions. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the most craziest mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but, but budget consciousness, um, was actually, you know, Im- basically helped create the movie because there's basically like, well, what can we do without like the huge budget? Biggest example being that they actually did want to get sharks, uh, for the movie, but they couldn't, couldn't do anything. Uh-huh. Like that. They couldn't get the sharks. It was too expensive. So uh-huh. they're like, well, the effects guys like, well, what can we do? It was like, well, I can make the water bubble. And then they were just, Mike and Jay would just riff, and it's like, well, what if we did, like, a joke about that? What if that we couldn't get the sharks? Oh, that's awesome. We actually couldn't get the sharks. Uh, You know who was a very big fan of this movie? Oh. Carrie Fisher.
1: Oh, wait. You mean, wait, what do you mean she was a big fan of it? Explain. Explain this story. So
0: she is involved
1: with the movie. Yeah. She plays
0: a therapist in a little bit of a cameo role.
1: Easily probably takes part in maybe the funniest scene in the movie. Yes, one of the
0: funniest scenes in the movie. And she... Mike Myers has said that she, he, he knew her a little bit like, cause she had been on SNL and mm, right. stuff like that. And she was just, you basically like sent her the script as a kind of a, you know, it's kind of a reach. It was like, well, if you want to do it, it's there for you. You know, we'd love to have you. He just wasn't really expecting her to do it, but he remembers that she was immediately like into it. And when they were shooting the scene, he screamed, like, how many times she would come up to him and be like, I just love all the weird choices you're making here. Like, I love the weird choices in this scene. Uh huh. And, like, she's like, throughout the movie, but I was just like, I love, like, how weird the scene is. Uh huh. And, like, I, I you know, because it's Carrie Fisher, and Carrie yeah. Fisher's kind of game for that sort of. Oh, of course. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything but she I've was, ever like, heard. A of huge, her. like a huge, like, like let me like do whatever i need to if i want to improvise a little bit like she was all game for it Mm. and and seth green says she was like one of the best people to work with because like she was just so into just being odd for the sake of the movie oh
1: yeah definitely
0: and uh i mean i I think that's myers in a nutshell though it's just like he's very much like gets a group of actors together in this movie that is all on board for just being weirdos Mm -hmm. and and especially because mike himself and and seth has also talked about this and that just seeing how m- far Mike would go for a joke or how much he would, you know, you know, the dancing and everything like that, like how much he would make a fool of himself for the movie. It's mm. just like it kind of inspires everybody else. Where, like, it's set-
1: definitely infectious because like literally when the lead of your movie and the lead like that essentially is a playing your lead hero and your lead villain is going ape shit like it's just going nuts like and it's just like letting it all hang out it definitely inspires you to loosen up a little bit
0: yeah and uh the hardest i will say we're gonna...
1: because because none of it i've ever heard was is like from an intimidating standpoint it's yeah. literally i've only heard that he's just like a goofball mm-hmm.
0: the toughest scene in the movie to do was the scene where uh there's like kind of the, the nudity blocking uh um, mm-hmm. that, right. that elizabeth hurley does with with mike working up because that was a legitimate one shot one shot take mm-hmm. and it was very much like myers had the easy job because he had markers on the floor that he would go to but hurley was kind of had the sneakily look into kind of a camera and kind of make sure she was pointing her you know her magnifying glass and her tea in the right spots so oh that that that's was, interesting actually blocked um and so they basically it took twenty five takes to get perfect. And there was a point where they're like, "Well, is there another way we can do this? Because it seems like this is going to be impossible." But they nailed it on the twenty fifth take. Uh, now they
1: would just do it with all CGI. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They would just put the put that CGI magnifying glass in their hand. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it actually, maybe. <laughs> and even even the
0: similar scene uh, at the end of the movie also still rather tough, uh, with both of them being pretty much nude. Mm-hmm. Um, not. Truly, truly nude, but mm-hmm. nude nonetheless. Um, but those scenes actually almost gave the movie an R rating. Um, oh wow! And they had to really negotiate, and at the end of the day, the only thing—well,
1: to be fair, one of those jokes is pretty tasteful until she eats a sausage. Like <laughs> that, that, that's actually the joke. That's actually the joke that almost got them the R. Yeah, rating. I mean, like that. They, that they were pretty able weird. to talk
0: the ratings board down. Right. but The ratings board did require they said that the Mike Myers was showing a little bit too much ass in the movie.
1: Oh oh wow. Well. Hey. Well, I mean, he is you see what he did those fembots? I can see why they were a little yeah. they were a little concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um But well. that's pretty
0: much that's pretty much the the movie um you know, like they basically just had a lot of fun and it they did not go over budget. They did not over schedule it. They yeah. they basically like hit all their marks and you know, just kind of the general production stuff, but you know, very kind of like a movie that everybody has a fun time with.
1: Now, and then getting into the movie as we lead into the discussion about the movie. Just talking about Mike Myers a little bit cuz I kind of like opened up like a little bit about at the top about like m- his fame a mm-hmm. little bit. Where it's, like, so this is coming out, and, like, again, we've had Wayne's World. He's a big SNL person. He's a big, hot commodity comedy-wise. Like, so we're, like, was this, like, a big, kind of, like, big comedy movie coming out where it's, like, everybody was, like... And then also, the trailers must have advertised that he was both people, correct? I
0: think... So, the other thing... So, I was actually gonna get this a little bit later, but basically, there was this aspect where the movie did not test well. The movie was one of those things where, like, in their re- review scores, you know, you kind of want, like, above a 70. Sure. It's getting kind of 50s across the board. But there was a couple things. that One, Roach and Myers both admitted that they did not think the movie was going to be a hit. They thought that they were lucky enough to be making it with the budget that they had. Mm. But they thought it would be in that cult realm where it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a huge hit, but people would enjoy it, what they see, and it probably would, like, you know, kind of stick around in that way. Yeah. Mm. But that president of a new line at the time was so into it where he got those review scores back. And normally that would be like the death knell where the where the studio would not want right, you know, to right. do it. But the, r- the the president was like, listen, I like what you're doing. I know you know what you're doing. So we're just going to up the marketing budget to make sure people see this movie. Because okay. I think people are going to dig it. Yeah, And that was kind of the thing. But this is like – this really was kind of like the true star-making moment, I think, for Myers because of – just the performance that he puts on for two different characters, and mm-hmm. I think that's really where his, the performance aspect of Myers and kind of his improvisation, improvisational comedy chops really comes to the forefront. And especially in this, some of this stuff will get in the aftermath of how this, where and when this movie became a hit and how it did. This really kind of boosted up, you know, Myers' career because the Wayne World, the Wayne's World movies were successful. But it's also very much like it's one of the you know the Wayne's World movies are one of the few successful SNL comedies. It's mm. really the Wayne's World movies and the Blues Brothers are like the real only true like successful SNL comedy. So you can kind of bank as like well, it's this popular SNL sketch marketed well for the theaters and kind of hit something right right in the early '90s. Right. But I think like really awesome because because the thing too is like again Austin Powers is something that's totally Mark Myers. It's it's his script. It's his passion. It's his acting everything about the movie is like you know it's all the actors he wants to work with it's all the jokes he wants to do like this is basically like mike myers kind of pure in a nutshell like if you were to put mike myers out there and be like well this is what he is austin powers is that movie and i think it's present even in 97 when the movie comes out like well this is what mike myers is it's kind of a definition of him as a comedic performer
1: yeah well, with all, that, uh, with all of his work and all that trust in uh, the project, it seems, that was behind the scenes, um, I think that they did succeed in what they wanted to do by making this new character come to life and find its place in culture, in cinema, and we are about to talk about it right after the break.
0: Yeah, baby! Yeah! <laughs> You know, I have one simple request. And that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. Now, evidently, my cycloptic colleague informs me that that can't be done. Uh, Can you remind me what I pay you people for? Honestly, throw me a bone here. What do we have? Sea bass. Right. They are mutated, seabass. Really? Are they ill tempered? Absolutely. Well, that's a starch. You know.
1: Wow, this this
0: <laughs> Austin Powers. Let's this. What a
1: stupid movie. Okay,
0: so yes. I mean This is okay, yes. <laughs> to put it out there, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, is an extremely dumb movie. It's in the best way, like in one it's of the best so... ways possible.
1: It's so stupid. It's, it's so it, it dumb. It pummels you with stupidity to the point of you just have to enjoy yourself. Well, it
0: is a bunch of actors and comedians, and especially Mike Myers, just completely making fools of themselves, making the stupidest gags, and like putting it out there unashamedly. And that's what makes the movie so entertaining. It's just because with comedy, it, there's a lot of different types of comedy. But in this form of comedy, it very much is very much like you're presenting yourself with really insane jokes. Things that really, if you don't sell them, if you don't commit to them, Mm. will not work. Mm -hmm. And the thing about especially this first Austin Powers movie, and especially Mike Myers in this first Austin Powers movie, is that there's commitment. There's commitment to presenting these jokes in, in essence the funniest way possible. And, you know with these types of comedies, there's never a 100% success rate, right? right? There's going to be some duds. There's going to be some things that are just like, okay, well, that was that, but there's so much of this movie, but because they commit and because they, because, and because Myers and his, and his team here have great comedic timing Mm. that it works. And he presents something that's very iconic for the nineties. I feel like, like this is one of those things where it's like, this could really only be, like, a 90s movie in some ways. Like, you do this, like, in the 80s, you do this a decade later, Right, this is not going to work. It's really, like, a testament of this, like, right place, right time, I feel like, to right decade for this, this type of movie. It was
1: super fascinating to watch this movie. Like, ultimately, I enjoyed going back and watching it. It's funny. We we're going to talk about all, 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 the funny things. I think off the bat, I would actually say that I think the next two movies are actually better um, for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I think actually the second one may be my favorite out of all, all, three of these. But what was so fascinating about watching this one was not only, um, you know, revisiting it um, after uh, after a year or so, but also like the biggest thing was that. It was fascinating to watch because this was the movie that birthed all of the things that you know about Austin Powers. So it's weird because, like, because again, my entry point was the second one, and then going forward. So you know, and through you know, culture osmosis, you know all like the like the gags and the jokes. You know the oh behave and yeah. the groovy baby and the rye. and like it's like one million dollars. Like you knew all that. Yeah. So it was in some ways it was fascinating to go back and watch this movie and all those jokes kind of being told for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it was a very surreal experience for me because, you know, you're so used now to hearing those as a as a reference point or as like a continuation of like a catchphrase. But at this point, it wasn't a catchphrase. It was just that was the joke in that's, the movie.
0: I mean, and that's something we've talked about like over the course of even the podcast with our with our big franchises. It's right, like seeing the establishment of like shake and not stir, like over our Bond stuff and right. even Godzilla, like those tropes getting established. And it was, it's like, it was it, definitely it, odd to to, yeah, to, to, to go back.
1: It, yeah, it, and it was it was still fun. It was still a bit. It was interesting. It, it's kind of like an exercise in like you know how. Uh, how we've kind of grown comfortable with how we, you know, have viewed it because yeah. even like I said, in the next two movies, they are used more as catchphrase, whereas in this movie, it's like the gag. Yeah, and, and it, it was it was very because yeah, because
0: yeah, they become, you're right, you're just so become, familiar because in the next movie, they become the crowd pleasing jokes. That, right, you you've mm-hmm. gotta have the oh behave, you gotta have the one million yeah. dollars, you gotta pages.
1: have the it's a man, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's just there's just so yeah, there's just but also like it's also, like, it's also
0: yeah. funny to get this out of the way too, like. How much else is established in those other two movies? Like, you know, this movie does not have Mini Me, does right. not have Fat Bastard, like, right. which are characters that do become, you know, another Mike Myers character. And yeah, I would like, say
1: Mini Me would probably be the, the, the major one. The, yeah, the the that would be the next of the tri- the Trinity of like yes. what of the characters that make this franchise the mm-hmm. the the franchise. Um, but uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, I mean, it 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 was it, it was so enjoyable just to like go back. And, like, see and re-familiarize yourself with, like, the the birth of it. Um, the And the only reason I say I think I, I like the other two more is, like, I think, like, the next two movies have just a tad more of a sense of, like, how to, you know, form, like, a full movie and a narrative yes. around it. Whereas this one may be a little bit too breezy for its own good. And I, 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 don't, their, I don't disagree with that. And I think that this is also, especially now that you've seen and you're f- kind of familiar with all the movies, like, there's a little bit of first time up at bat, I think, mm-hmm. with this about how to do the 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 jokes. And again, I'm not saying every Austin Powers movie has like a uh, 100%, 100%. Yeah, joke yeah, right. ratio, but like I, I do feel like if I were to go back to the second one, I like it, it just like came came together a, a, a little bit more for me. But the one thing and I was kind of bringing this up at the like earlier was that. Mike Myers through his creation has just does such a good job of making this wholly its own thing, despite it having so much James Bond in its DNA Yeah, and it creating such this like unique vision. It's interesting because this is really the only like major kind of quote unquote negative thing I would have to say about it is that like the one thing that I think kind of, like maybe knocks the movie down a peg a little bit is a very admirable thing that it's that it's doing where it's like as i said it it spends so much time making these characters so lovable my one thing is like i think the angle of playing that he's the man out of time is ironically the thing that dates the movie the most i think Mm -hmm. i think it's like a thing that doesn't quite like it's fun and it makes the character lovable. But if we're talking about like it as like a story point in the movie, I don't think it quite gets us to where yeah, like to, to anywhere. It. Like, it's like, they, yeah,
0: it's like one of the things where it's kind of almost a background aspect of the movie where right. the, like,
1: they, but they, they, it they, do is the, the thing they, in the they, movie yeah. that they kind of put in to give like, oh, this is the character arc of yeah, Austin yeah. Powers. Well, it's, one, yeah. it's
0: one of the things where they do stuff with it, but they don't do enough, right, I guess. Right. Because it's like you get like some gags where he's like, you know, like some of the gags about it, but it's also just like, you know. Most of it that kind of they do is like his just kind of... He's a swinger. He's a swinger type of deal. Which like. is
1: ultimately kind of like... I, I mean, there, there's like the things because it's like they... Even though he's like an idiot, like they don't ever really go overboard with mm-hmm. it where he's like, you know, being like too, like, you know, handsy or too like aggressive about it. It's just because of he's, he's just kind of like a... He, like he's just that mindset where it's just like, oh, it's just we're all just having a party, baby. So that would be my actually my only... Uh, kind of my biggest criticism other than a few like you know um, pacing and you know joke ratio things yes. but I mean man is it infectious is though it, no it, it's, it, it's, it's such an it's infectious movie not, from the it, opening theme song to like I mean yeah sorry go ahead what were you gonna say well, I was
0: gonna say, well the opening theme song is uh is a song by Quincy Jones.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. And, I played that in band in high school. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, what's funny is that like, cause Myers was a fan of the song. He knew it from like another TV show uh, that played it. And Quincy Jones actually Myers contacted him and not only asked him permission, but wondered if he could, you know, uh, basically remaster it for the movie and Quincy was more than happy to do it so it's like a fresh version for for the movie version right And I mean was... what a
1: great way to introduce the character oh too. The, the
0: opening of this movie is fabulous yeah like it's just so like like again like kind of gets into that like retrospective of 60s and mm-hmm. just kind of the, the the fun and and just nonsense of you know like they're all dancing in the streets and then the cop comes up and then the cop starts dancing with them right right and it's kind of the Beatles thing where he's getting chased and everything but it's just like it's a perfect way to just get you within the tone of that movie mm-hmm. almost right away.
1: Well, we talked about a little bit about. Like, well, let's talk about I want to talk about like Myers as like the two characters. And, and this kind of goes back to a question I asked up top about as I was watching this, like is this like what would we consider like the Mike Myers character? I th- I like, cuz like, like I I would not deny anybody who says it's Austin Powers. I but, I think The only reason I, like, up top had said Shrek, because Shrek is one of those ones where I think, like, probably... Like, it's just because, you know, it's a voiceover role. But, like, to be fair, he has made that character the character that that it is. (laughs) So it's, like, one of those things where I think that if we were being fair... That he his role as Shrek would probably be a good contender for yeah. what like what is the Mike Myers role, but like I actually think this may be no I, I even more so than Wayne from Wayne's World. Yeah. Like I think this is a good one. I
0: have one hundred percent agree. I think that because I think it's also the fact that he's both Austin Powers and Doctor Evil that kind of makes this the ultimate Mike Myers movie. Yes, because in some ways, like yes, like Austin Powers is definitely the character he's passionate about. And, like, he wanted the play so badly. But I almost feel like Dr. Evil is, like, if you were to make, like, distill Mike Myers as a comedy performer, like, how he portrays Dr. Evil is, like, Mike Myers incarnate to me. It's just, mm-hmm. like, with – because Dr. Evil, again, is so easy to just riff out of. You can just tell that he's just, like, throw me a freaking bone here. Right, and just right, like yeah. yelling at people. And, again, uh-huh. even, like, the shush scene, like, yeah. which I'd mentioned in the preamble, and in a pre-production it's like that's totally just Myers just being doing stupid. his thing yeah. it's just like and even like you know because not just because because the way that Myers works it's not just a shh you know he doesn't you know he does that a couple times and mm-hmm. it like any other actor any other like kind of thing would just do like a little you know that sort of thing but like he's like going into like i have a whole bag of shh so i'm gonna be the shh and, and like he's like, having all those bits just with the shield. he has like you know five or, or six bits that are just out of the shoe thing right and like that's what myers is myers is just gonna riff and you know you kinda commit. Kinda he's gonna, commit he's gonna he's yeah. gonna commit to he's it he's gonna
1: commit and and come up with a million different ways to tell one joke and so what is it about specifically his role as because austin powers like just if we're going to talk about him in that role Again, I go back to that. It's almost effortless how much he gets to make the character lovable mm-hmm. and like likable. That it's just like you just want to see this character because it's very easy for a character like that to be annoying. Yes, but there's just something about it, like I don't know whether it's just it just seems it just feels so natural. Like you're always kind of aware that it is Michael Myers doing his thing, but also it just it transfers just enough into being like its own unique character that I, you're just having fun seeing him play dress up to the point of you're just so willing to go along for the I, I ride. I do
0: think it's just like his investment and his passion for the character. And I think you can just tell that he really wanted to do this. Yeah. And I think that he just inhibits, not inhibits, he he exudes that personality. Just It just comes off of him so naturally. Mm-hmm. The role of Austin Powers, despite it being like... Myers putting on a fake British accent and putting on this crazy out like the, you know, the blue suit and, and the, the glasses and the bad teeth mm-hmm. and the hair. It just feels so real. It just feels like he's just out there like doing his thing. He's, he's Austin Powers. Right. Like, he's just, he just escapes into that role. Right. Like I just think about, you know, there's so many sequences in this movie where it's just like that's Austin Powers. Right. Like that's just him being the character. Like him, you know, trying to, you know, dis, you know, claim that he doesn't own the Swedish penis pump is like, just his reactions and the way he looks at, like, you know, Elizabeth Hurley and then just like his reactions to everything and even at the end when he finally takes the pump, he's like admits, like, okay, hurry up. Like that's just he's just so within the role and it's the same thing when he's playing Doctor Evil. It's the same thing. Well, when he's like playing off of Scott, he's like, you just feel like he's inhibited. You know, he's just. Really putting himself into that role
1: so much. Well, therein lies kind of the genius of of the dual role thing. Because ultimately, there is a sense of like the energy in which he plays that role and the type of comedy ultimately come from the same place. Like, I feel a similar energy from the two of them in terms of the commitment and the level of, like, the type of humor. But he does such a good job at distinguishing those two characters so well. Because when you look at it, both of them are, you know, very committed to, like, you know, th- the gag and go on on their very improv rants and they're prone to whatever their catchphrase the
0: like, is. The different voice and the specific looks yeah. and everything uh, like but
1: like, yeah, but definitely, like, the thing about, like, the catchphrases and stuff. So, there are the similarities with them. But, ultimately, he does such a good job at, like, you know, the voices are completely unique. Like, the actual voice that he uses between the two characters is unique enough mm-hmm. that um, it, it's funny because, like, when you really watch the movie, it does become a ping pong. And then this actually goes through all of, I think, of the of the three movies. Less so maybe the third one because he's just playing so many roles by that point. Right. he has
0: four roles in Goldmember.
1: Right. Um, so by that point but in this in the in this these first two movies it really is a ping pong match between his role as Austin Powers and Dr Evil like mm-hmm. like the scenes are literally just handing back and forth like all right now there's a Dr Evil scene now there's an Austin Powers scene and then it, and then and despite any of the other like little nitpicks i could have the trading off of a performance between the two actors is probably the freshest thing that keeps the entire movie alive. Yeah, and I think that's like the the hidden genius of this movie that goes on into the rest of the franchise. Yes, um, so like that's all good. Um, but uh, sorry, I'm just now I'm just thinking of some of the jokes we gotta go through in, in the movie because. Because really, like, the, the
0: basic, like, <laughs> Cause if, there's if, some- if yeah, if you're going to go for a basic plot, for those of you who are listening and haven't seen it, so basically, Austin Powers is this big spy in the 60s, you know, loves, like, freedom and, and the free sex movement and everything like that. His nemesis is Dr. Evil. They, Dr. Evil gets away in the 60s and freezes himself uh, for the future. And then Austin Powers is like, well, I'll freeze myself too many in case he comes back. Dr. Evil reappears in 1997. They unfreeze Austin. And basically, the movie is, hey, it's like just here's the mission, Austin. You're finding Doctor Evil. Yeah. It just basically turns into like, like it's almost like Bond, the Bond.
1: It's almost like the Bond movies could learn a lesson from yeah. that. Bond,
0: you're got to find Blofeld, Doc. You know, Austin, you got to find Doctor Evil, and then there's a whole bunch of misadventures that come yeah. from that. You,
1: you know, is another thing that I think really benefits the Austin Powers character a lot is yeah. that, I mean, I, I guess he is kind of an idiot. But they tow that line about how good he is at his job. Yes. And I think, it, and it seems silly, but I think that's a key aspect of, like, if they're going to build this character up. That For the most part, they kind of always portray him as, like, he's fairly competent. decent or yeah. competent at his job, like despite an, being kind know, of a he's, like he a weirdo. Can be, he can
0: be an idiot and a weirdo, but, like, he can win a fight. He can, you know... Judo chop! <laughs> yeah. He can do an investigation. You yeah, know, right. he can charm a person to, yeah, right. for information. You know, and it's like they just tow that line enough where it's like he's gonna get the job done. Yeah,
1: and 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 also, and they never get to the point of that. You know, I have complained about Bond, the Bond character in the past, where it's just like, okay, Mister Man, back off. We get it. Like you're you're God's greatest gift on earth, and and then the, and with the Austin Powers character, yeah. they just completely uh, avoid that. Whereas. Dr Evil is a complete buffoon but but even so the implication is is that he's about to blow up the world yeah. by the end of the yeah. movie. It makes it all in an odd way very engaging yeah. like and fun like you always you're always like paying attention to what's go- what's mm-hmm. going on. Um but but I think like ultimately again going back and watching this you're seeing the birth of all of these different jokes and i think like t- just to rattle some of them off like you said the "O oh, behave is like mm-hmm. a big one uh the, i mean that's like
0: a that became like you know like uh you could get that as your email or ringtone yeah like that sort of thing it's just so yeah, yeah like,
1: baby uh, yeah is the is yeah. the big one uh, of course you have one million dollars um I, I you know even it, it kind of started also the trend of dr evil in the chair joke but i actually forgot how good dr evil in the chair was in this one yeah like there's some great like like my one of i think my favorite one definitely is when he brings the guy over to like pick up the cat yeah and then like he accidentally gets his arm caught in his arm yeah <laughs> so then he just rolls off with it like, oh, 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 <laughs> oh, oh. um but 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 that's a good one. Oh, we get um what uh we get will will ferrell of early of the career team. will ferrell yeah. like
0: pre because this is also like SNL-era Will Ferrell, where he's just become, like, you know, pre-Zoolander and, and old school, like, basically when his career took off. So this is very much like Will Ferrell in an extremely small role. Mm-hmm. But, again, it's it's exa- it's also funny because it's exactly, like, the type of role Will Ferrell kind uh, of The, the character
1: it. is Mustafa, Mustafa. Mustafa. Yeah, who appears in the, in the second one as yes. well. Well, um, because,
0: like, in this movie, again, total Will Ferrell thing is um, his character because uh, –
1: he wears the fez. He
0: wears the fez, but he, but because Doctor Evil at the beginning of the movie does the thing from Thunderball, where like, you know, Blofeld like hits the button and the, the person falls in the chair to his doom. Right. Yeah. And so Mustafa like created the cryogenic thing, but the cat lost all of his hair. Mm-hmm. Mr. And Bigglesworth. It, it, Bigglesworth. And it's I I think it I bet it's also implied that Doctor Evil lost all of his all yeah. his hair too. And so he puts a thing, and he's like, "Okay, you're you're dead." And he puts him in the furnace. No, no,
1: no. It was funny because that was a joke where he's just like, oh, fuck, "What was the joke?" He said something like, "It's like we did not consider feline complications." Yes, <laughs> in the, we in did the not defrosting. consider feline complications. <laughs> so basically, he, you know,
0: Doctor Evil like puts him in the furnace thing, and he's like going on. And he's like about to like, okay, well now we're gonna do our evil plans. And then you just hear Will Ferrell's like, "I'm still alive down here. I, I designed this too." Like, but it's it's such a Will Ferrell it's joke. So funny! It's so funny to see like, again, early career Will Ferrell like before he's big,
1: but he's still like that's his type of humor. Well, there there's like some like you know pretty obvious humor like that, but then there's just some weird, just dumb yes. joke like yes, and I and actually, and this isn't one of them, but this was the one that came up to me like as I was like coming to do this podcast because it's. It was that thing that it, it got the Will laugh. Yeah. Like, you know, the classic Will laugh. The classic Will laugh. The classic Will laugh, and, and that was when, you know, he's trying to put the moves on Vanessa and everything, yeah. and then at one point, Vanessa's like, he's like, Mr. Powers, I will never have sex with you. Even if you were the last man on Earth and the entire future of the human race depended on our procreation, I would not sleep with you. And then Austin is like, so what's your point, Vanessa? <laughs> That's such a good joke. Yeah. That's such a good joke. So good. <laughs> and then, of course, but then I, I think if you want an actually legitimately gold joke in this movie, yeah, is allow myself to introduce myself like <laughs> <Yes. laughs> that's like a legitimately gold joke well
0: that's that gets to do we when well, you mentioned that i gotta mention of course one of one of the best bond type of jokes in this movie mm-hmm. where he's doing that he's at the poker table with number two and number two has his assistant. Oh partner. yes, yes. <laughs> and so he does like allow myself to introduce myself. I'm Richie Cunningham, and this is my wife, Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> but then it's like my name is number two, which is never not funny. <laughs> my name is number two, and this is this is my assistant. A lot of vagina. <laughs> And that's even like, I love that it's just like, again, even Austin does the double take on well, that. Well, I think
1: since, you know, we had kind of set up a top, we may like touch upon the other movies. But the, all the movies in their Bond lady names, yes. they have a lot of vagina. Yeah. They have Ivana Hump a lot. Yeah. <laughs> they have, of course, Fook Me and Fuki. Oh, man. <laughs> is that Don't, it? Is that, is that well, all? Well, I mean,
0: I would, I mean, it's not like, what that, was Heather
1: Graham's character? She's name?
0: Felicity Shagwell. Yeah, Felicity and then Shagwell. Foxy Cleopatra. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. 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 But yeah, the uh, the uh, uh, Von a Hump a Lot is, is is really yeah, good. Yeah. But but yeah. A lot of vagina is a really funny name. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. There's just the they there's just so because what what are some of the other like you know big ones? Obviously we bring you know Scott uh, in, in, into this and in the and in the, in the shushing yes. and and everything um, that that's really good. I. Oh, and then like Frau with the the yelling. Yes. Send in the <laughs> send in the fan bats. <laughs> like it's so good. That's like one of those jokes. My dad loves that joke. Yeah. Where he's like, send in the clod. <laughs> like, so oh that, uh, that that's I think a like good the
0: one. I do think that the Scott and uh, and Doctor Evil relationship as a whole is a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh yeah,
1: no, that's really good. There was a your daddy, uh, okay. So there was a movie. There was a moment in this movie where. Like, Nick and I were enjoying it because it's like, you know, we're we're familiar with it and we're just rewatching it. We're, we're having some chuckles. But there is a, a moment in this movie that just, I think, broke both of us and just like, and we both had the same reaction of what a stupid movie. Yeah. Like, you could not, there was, that was the only response you could have to that. And that was when Mike Myers as Dr. Evil does his weird Macarena dance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, come here, come to your daddy. I'm hip. and you're
0: literally that's what I'm saying about like Mike Myers as a performer that's him just being completely
1: stupid and committing to that stupidity I I would honestly even say that it may be a bad joke but it's just so stupid yes indeed
0: (laughs) one thing I will not get tired of and I think has actually aged very well for me in the movie as a whole is like the concept of because th- we've talked about like Myers being the out of time person, and now that doesn't work. But I do think Doctor Evil having all these plans and all these aspects of like yes. world domination, yes. but then kind of like still kind of having to you know kind of adjust. We will himself. burn
1: a hole a hole in the ozone. Yes. Of course, like the the do- yeah. the classic Doctor Evil quote quote yeah. marks. Yeah, that, that's, uh, but that's even really like good. the
0: one at the end of the movie, and it's skipping ahead a little bit. But when. When number two is going on his rant about basically like, we've built like an actual evil corporation here. We've built like, you know, there's no world anymore. It's all companies and we've built something here and you just want to take over the world. I think like that's a really good, funny kind of little, little thing. And him, I do think like, again, this is, we've talked about the establishment, but him not realizing that a million dollars isn't that much money right. <laughs> is always funny because it's always the Zoom. And I think the best part is when, he accidentally says a million dollars in front of the UN because he's like, "Okay, we we taken your nuclear warhead from this fictional Russian like you know country or whatever," and he's like, million dollars does the zoom," and the whole UN laughs, and then like number two is like, "Sir, <clears throat> oh, that's right, that's right, one," and then it does the zoom again, one hundred billion dollars. Can we in- also
1: talk about like the weirdly unspoken, really dumb joke of all the UN members just being dressed? Like in like just classic garb from around the world. Yes. Like there's just the classic
0: like classic UN type of joke. And yeah. it is also within like a very
1: nondescript room. Yeah, like, it's like in the danger room. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, oh my god. Danger the, uh- is my middle name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a,
1: what a dumb. Well, because movie. it's like it's the
0: obvious joke, but it's again, it's like it's such like a danger powers. No, no, no. He just like literally looks at the camera. Danger is my
1: middle name. So stupid. What about like it, it, it's so like, you know dumb. another
0: dumb joke that I kind of can't help but like is when he's fighting the Lucky Charms guy in the bathroom and Tom. Oh yeah, Tom yeah. Arnold the, yeah. is just like next to. Him. Who does
1: number two work for? Yeah, that, you, yeah. You tell him. Show that turd who's boss. What did you eat? what's also really was really funny and i think i i got to mention probably one of the funniest scenes in the movie and that was the the support group in the the, the therapy, high, the therapy scene session is hysterical no it, it was funny because that was the most very snl moment of yes. the, like cuz i could clearly see and that's almost why i had to like recalibrate like it's like well wait a minute like this is like cuz it kind of just seemed like this was like You could look at that and say, like, this is, like, the SNL skit that inspired doing this character. Because you can see the bit of, like, son brings his, uh, you know, his father to school. And then it turns and it's, like, this weird mastermind character. And then they play that scene. It's very similar to, you know, like, uh, that Adam Driver playing the oil baron? Yes. Uh, it, It reminded me of that a little bit. But, man, what a... And, again, it was just the commitment to the role of just like him just like completely straight-faced as the character of Dr. Evil during this during this therapy session where he's like i just think You know, I was just like really into animals. Like, it's like maybe I could be, you know, work as a vet. An evil vet. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, like a petting zoo. An evil petting zoo. (laughs) He's like, I really think he's trying to kill me. No, it's like, and then Carrie Fish is like, you know, it feels like that sometimes. They're trying to kill us. No, I've actually been trying to kill him. He's very resilient, like his old man. But then
0: when when Dr. Evil goes into his whole like Backstory. Whereas, like, my father, like, you know, beat me, which wasn't too, like, out of the ordinary. And <laughs> as were we, we,
1: we wore our meat helmets, <laughs> it was just maybe. absolute
0: nonsense. But, and then, like, and then the entire support group just kind of, like, being like, yeah. I actually think it
1: may be that monologue may be the best written thing in the movie only because it's a series of nonsense. He is saying absol- absolute, absolute just malarkey yeah. and it's just and because it's so nonsensical it's, it's hysterical and then and then, and then, we, it was, and then later on in the movie he's like he's like i thought we made uh, we had a breakthrough we had a breakthrough in group and he's like i had the group liquidated you little shit <laughs>
0: like, yeah. what does
1: that mean <laughs> he's like he's like i had them liquidated you little shit they were insolent <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I I do think that, like,
0: I mean, I think there's so many iconic Dr. Evil moments. But to me, the one I always go back to and one that I was really much may or may not be the quote, which I was considering, was the the Sharks. Oh, oh,
1: oh. Dude, we we could not get through this episode without talking about the sharks gag because it's they, so yeah, funny. The the sharks would freaking lay Oh, well, freaking also him yeah. being like freaking and throw me a freaking bone here. Uh but yeah, no, the sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their freaking heads leads to maybe the best exchange in the movie. I think maybe. Yeah. Possibly Which the best Which is
0: why it's considering for the quote cuz it's just so iconic to what this movie is.
1: Just like it, it, cuz it's a uh, uh, So what do we have? sea bass oh no because he's like the whole bit is that well we couldn't get the sharks because they're on the endangered species list
0: well we we tried to get the sharks but they're on the endangered species list and there's a lot of red tape and a lot of paperwork and it just wouldn't happen he's like come on guys
1: it's like what do we have sea
0: bass mutated sea bass (laughs) well and then and then they they, when when they're there and you know because they do the whole thing and it's like kind of there's a rote idea, but it, it's still kind of fun where they're, you know, where they're doing the whole like, aren't you going to watch him? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And
1: they're doing that thing. It, it was funny because in retrospect, those were the jokes that were like pretty obvious. Yes. Um, though it did, <laughs> it did lead to another great one where he's just like, where Scott's just like, I could go and just get a gun and we could just, we could just kill them right now. It Bang. could be like a, it could be like a moment with us. <laughs> he's like, Scott, you just, don't get it, do you? <laughs> <laughs> like, even Dr. Evil knows what he's doing. He knows he has to give Austin the, a chance to escape. But in you. a way, that's what makes it all likable, because there's this kind of, like, weird, there's this kind of j- thought in the writing that it's just, like, everybody is very aware of, like, them playing the part that, they, that yeah. they're that they playing, and that it right. makes... Like, you
0: just don't right. get it.
1: And it, and it. and it kind of, like, avoids the problem of you looking at, like, just characters being dumb, dumb. and idiots. Right. Like, it's like everybody, like... It's literally, like, they paint this world where the normal people are out of place. Yes. And and it works. Yeah, actually, that's very true. It works like gangbusters. Right,
0: and it's like like Hurley has to get in on the weirdness to, like, really, like, be part of the team and stuff like that. Uh, There's a couple of other real fun stuff. Like, I was going to mention that with the mutated sea bass, like, even when they, like, escape and they, you know, they put the guard in there and they, they commit to being like, you know, the well, sea bass are going to mess you up. Like, mm-hmm. they, they the guy, like, has his whole head cut off and then they do all the, the the pun
1: jokes. Right, right, right. Which I do. No way to get ahead in life, yeah. Yeah,
0: well, it's just like, uh, he'll never be the head of a major corporation. That'll work, okay. i just leave. Um, <laughs> well,
1: but that kind of brings me, I do want to mention this point because we do have to talk about this, like, before, like, um. well, we we just have to bring this up, is that, so ultimately, we're talking about this because it is, in some way, shape, or form, a parody of James Bond, right?
0: A parody, like of Bond, and an homage to those, like, like those original, like, classic Bond right. films as well. But
1: what I found interesting of it was that it was just emulating so many other things that it ultimately evolved into, like, this thing that sh- weirdly shares DNA with one thing and is inseparable from the Bond franchise but simultaneously carves out its own path because yeah. when you think about how unique it is like I've already mentioned at top it's like the James Bond thing but they're adding like the 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 60s swingers thing but then immediately it's like oh we cryogenically froze him too like so right. there's like so many of these weird like it, it's so bold in a way I think or just, maybe not even bold just smart on the on the right on the filmmaker's point of view that at no point did it feel like it was beholden to right. like the trappings of a James Bond movie and that we have to hit our James Bond beats to make this a James... And they do ultimately and then, frankly like when they do and like things like make fun of like you know the catchphrases and things like that. You, you it, not that the jokes are bad but it it, it stands out as the obvious joke whereas yeah. like all the things that probably work like Gangbusters are the things that it ultimately brings up. It's uh, it's like I, said, I think
0: that I mean that's what Myers wanted to do. He wanted to take inspiration and and, and basically make kind of a a new version of those old Bond movies, but he wanted to commit to doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that a lot of times, like with parodies and I you know, eventually the scary movies fell into this and eventually the Zucker films fell into this, uh, the post airplane naked gun Zucker films, is that when you get to beholding and you're making fun of a certain specific thing mm. and you're just playing those beats Well, like when you look at like something like like a scary movie four, when it's just like, well, here's the beats from World of the Worlds, and now here's the beats from Saw, and it's just like kind of you're just kind of taking, you have to hit everything. Right, right. Whereas I feel like Myers and in that in that realm of the old Mel Brooks comedies is basically saying like, well, I want to take inspiration from this, and I do want to kind of poke fun at the specific things that I want to poke fun at. But it's also something that they genuinely have, like, a love for. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a, that aspect of, like, well, I want to make it my own thing. I still want to be this creative force on this movie. And I think, like, Myers... I mean, I think this is just the fact that Myers had this this Austin Powers character and eventually also this Dr. Evil character that he became passionate about. And he was basically making a movie that surrounded that. And, yes, it does add all those aspects of the Bond franchise. Because, as we mentioned, like, Dr. Evil... Hey, takes so much from that Donald Pleasance interpretation of Blofeld. Right. And it's so, so much inspiration from that. But then it's not, it's not just like, oh, we're just going to do Donald Pleasance's as Blofeld. Well, but, we're doing Dr. Evil. But, but it becomes its own
1: thing. It's a, it's a, it's a mindset that goes throughout the franchise. Cause it's like in the second one, it becomes a time travel and then ultimately like a Star Wars, like, you know, they're making fun of Star Wars by the end of the movie. Yeah. And, you know, things like that. But then ultimately, it's like, you know, at the opening, it's a time travel thing. And then the set, and then the third one uh, starts spoofing Hollywood, too. So it's like, and it's almost this smart thing where while they're always going to be spy movies, they're picking up, like, they're going to tackle them in different ways. Like, the spy movie is only just, like, it's literally just the profession of the character and, like, what propels the plot forward. And again, it's one of those things that I do think that's even a lesson that, the James Bond franchise could learn from because it's like now we're getting to the James in the point in the franchise where it's like, it's another guy who like is going to use satellites and scary technology to like ruin the world where it's like, whereas like you why even though I know that there's a little bit more freedom with like an Austin Powers movie, but at least in those movies, like each one of these movies feels a little, a little more fresh yeah. in, 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 a, in a different way. Um, because like we said, like if we're going into all these like big jokes that they do, there's so many famous jokes from this franchise that aren't like as you said with characters that aren't even in this movie. We have like the silhouette jokes from the next movie. We have, we have the look up in the sky and like what is that? Weena, get your Weena! Yeah, like just yeah. like there's so many jokes like that that aren't in there yet. Um. So and yeah. then of course you got all the fat bastard jokes. You got like you mini me jokes. Mini me jokes. You got gold. Gold. Uh, uh, gold member. Gold member later. The mole. The, the 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 mole, which is, that, that's a great one, and then frankly, like y- you don't even get probably maybe the best addition to these movies, and probably like the my favorite thing that they've added to any of these movies is Michael Kane in the third one. Yeah, hilarious. It's He's very, so great in, the, yeah, in, in, it's in so that. so funny in
0: that one. And also like the evolution of the. Well, I also think that what's fun is that they do get to uh, evolve those characters. Like yeah. they do evolve the Doctor Evil and Scott relationship. You kind of get deeper into Myers with, with his father in that mm-hmm. you know in that third one, and kind of his self-realization about his mojo in the second one. Even I think like you get kind of more of that history mm, right, between the right. characters, and I think that they do. But I think it's just in general they do have a genuine love for these characters, so that when they do continue this franchise onward, again whether or not those movies hit hundred percent of the jokes, I think there's that genuine love for what they're doing. And I think that's always something that shines through.
1: I also have to say that, and again, I know I'm hopping all over the place. Elizabeth Hurley, not bad casting.
0: No, no, she's great. Yeah. She
1: movie. actually like, you know, she, you know, they don't try to over comedy her. Like they don't try to force comedy right. with her There's because she's not a comedian, Yeah, but she fits in the comedy and I she think fits she in good, the I movie. I think she has yeah. good
0: chemistry with, with, I with the Power's character I and with, with Myers as a whole. Um, There's other great. uh, But
1: also, it leads to another amazing joke with her in the next movie where we find out she's a fembot. And it's like, it turns out uh, Vanessa was a fembot. Yes, sadly, we knew the whole time. (laughs) They just
0: move on. It's just like, like, literally, like, that makes really no sense. It makes no sense. But they just move on. Um, Um, But anyway, sorry. There's other, like, just to kind of go through some other great gags, there's, of course, the classic. They're on the, like, the. uh, the, um, they're, like, approaching the henchman on, like, the car or whatever. Oh, God. Yeah, on the roller thing. No! The, the steamroller and the, the henchman won't get out of the way. So funny. So it's just that. There's also the jet gag where Myers has to turn around his little cart in, the, like, the really small hallway, and he just can't do it. The hallway's too small to do, like, a three-point turn. Mm-hmm and, and he's just like it's he somehow gets just stuck where he gets like the car just like but
1: again but and you know what's funny again that goes back to this whole ping pong match between dr evil and austin powers because literally that scene is i think sandwiched between like one or two other scenes of like dr evil in a plastic suit falling yes. off of a chair like that's all this movie is it's just like going back and forth to these weird little bits with these characters so good
0: absolutely absolutely um just like so much insanity,
1: but 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 I did want to touch upon this just one last time. But it's like, but as we have watched all of the Bond movies, and now that we're going and now that we're watching this movie, what are our feelings about that? Like, because it's like I've always thought, like in some way, shape, or form, and this may be blasphemous to say, and I'm not saying you get Bond by watching this movie. But you definitely get the social and cultural cinematic impact of Bond if you watch this movie. Because, again, it shares so much of that DNA where it's such, like, it's it's not a a shame to hide its influences, which I think is, like, really fascinating about watching it.
0: it, I think it's, like, again, they do genuinely love what they're, you know, kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. taking inspiration from. There's the genuine love for... Kind of that original Connery era and the stuff like "You Only Live Twice" and "Diamonds Are Forever" and uh, you know "Thunderball." Like they have a genuine love for what's presented in those movies. It's here. I do think having gone through the whole Bond franchise again, it's funny because like I always knew that well. This really like isn't truly like. It's not like it's truly like a James Bond parody it's just more so it takes that inspiration but i do find myself appreciating a little bit more of those jokes Mm. and like kind of seeing a little bit more of those direct influences now that i've seen all these bond movies right right. like even like that last sequence where they're like you know where he's you know they got to stop the the drill at the last minute very much like that whole sequence, the way it's like the, – the room and the way it's put together is very much the ending of Dr. No. And I can see that very clearly, right. like, that it takes inspiration, for that, but again, it becomes its own thing. Man. The end of the movie is basically the end of From Rush With Love, but it's its own thing. And I yeah. can see like the most – how it's more directly influenced from Bond than I – even remember mm-hmm. because again like a lot of for a long time even before the podcast i was like well it really only takes its true inspiration from you only live twice it takes like the blowfeld and kind of the big plan but really it's his own thing but there is a lot of that classic connery dna within this movie even them being in vegas um uh is from diamonds are forever even the use of burt Bacharach mm-hmm. is directly lifted uh intentionally from casino royale uh, because Myers, you know, when he was making the movie, Myers knew of Casino Royale's existence, and part of it was like, well, what if we made something kind of good out of that basic idea of like a spy comedy? Right. Um, but the fact that, like, Myers was like, well, I used The Look of Love as a direct homage to, like, the original spy comedy. Yeah. Uh, that, the two direct om- homages to Casino Royale are that the look of the use of the, the song Look of Love, mm. uh, and also the fact that Myers has The Spinning Bed. Uh, which, right, which right, uh, right, peter yeah. sellers has
1: in the original movie that's fun would you see another one would i see a fourth would you see would you would you want a fourth yeah I, would, I i gotta be honest i would not be mad if they said that they' were making a fourth one i
0: mean like it's he's been they've been i was gonna put this in the gentleman but they've been clear that like they would well, everybody's game to do it it's just like they say they need an idea i think they need a they need the studio to be like you know sure because if if mike myers was told tomorrow hey we want to do another austin powers movie he's not saying no right because especially because of the way his career has gone since right Austin powers well clearly
1: engine. he has an interest in still playing a character like this because it notoriously the love guru he was like really bummed about how that was received yes so it wasn't like
0: I, I always well, got like, the
1: sense, like, he was into still doing stuff well, like cause, that.
0: Well, because, like, I mean, I just mentioned it, but, like, his weird little bit with the Gong Show oh, revival, right, right. Yeah, yeah, where he's right. just, he's like, where they present him as not Mike Myers, but a completely different character. Right. It's clear that he still wants to play dress up and still wants to do that. And I think that, you know, he and he appeared, you know, he appeared at Dr. Evil on SNL, um, at one of these, you know, political things that they were doing recently as well and I think that like I just think he still would like to play these characters And
1: you know what in a weird way and this is actually this will probably be one of the last few things I say about the movie and it, and it just kind of dawned on me because I'm thinking about like, you know, a lot of people are wary when they bring back like an old comedy like that. Like, you know, we've had, you know, Dumb and Dumber and Zoolander or yeah. Two-Lander, whatever it, was, whatever it was called. Should have been called Two-Lander. It was Two-Lander too. Yeah. Two-Lander, well, Zoolander 2 too because it was like, it was in a T-O-O. Yeah. That's funny. um But you know, it's like, I, I just feel and I've always felt like a comedy though like that is different from Austin Powers and I just feel like there's this certain self-aware artifice of the Austin Powers movies where everybody knows there there's kind of like this certain feeling that every that everybody's playing a role and then they're they're all putting on a show. Yeah. Like there's this sense of it's a comedy oh. where everybody's putting on a show. Whereas something like Zoolander or Dumb and Dumber is more of just like that's a comedy movie. Right, they're playing yeah. a character and it's like a strict movie. Whereas the Austin Powers movie, it's literally just like Let's put on let's put on our costumes, let's do dumb jokes and, he, and, and put on a show. And
0: you know that if they did it now, they would lean into the fact that it's like kind of coming back and stuff like that. Right. Like, yeah. And I think like whereas like Dumb and Dumber Two and Zoolander Two and all those other kind of nineties comedies that have, you know, gotten sequels, they kind of have to be like, Well, we're just back in the world and it's just like, you know, it's just these same characters just like twenty years later or ten years, you know, whatever it right. may be. But like with, with Austin Powers, there would be so many dumb jokes about how like it's like a you know like we're like Doctor Evil would totally make a reboot type of joke, right? And it would be dumb, but again, Myers would commit to it enough where it would kind of probably be funny.
1: Yeah, and and that's another thing about like the Austin Powers movies is like they don't really establish a world. It's just a weird cartoon it's, world. It is. <laughs>
0: it's like- kind of what it is. It is kind of a weird little cartoon world
1: ultimately at the end of the day I, I really enjoyed revisiting this and I think actually talking it over and just seeing the impact of like not only um, you know its roots but you know how much of a path it carved out for itself mm-hmm. I, I, I think th- th- I, I'm, re- I'm really glad I'm really glad that we were able to re- revisit this one and and honestly I, I can foresee myself. Uh, maybe maybe even buying that triple pack Blu-ray that I've been seeing on Amazon. It's an
0: easy purchase. It's, it's only ten dollars. <laughs> th- well, I think you're gonna have to do it like right after. I, this I think I may have to. <laughs> All uh, right. So, a quick little aftermath. Yes, aftermath. All right. So, the movie uh, releases on um. I had the date right here, and I lost it. May second, nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. which was bad timing mm-hmm. for the movie because it was the week uh, that Princess Diana was killed in the accident so the uk version had to quickly cut out the joke about princess diana Mm -hmm. that's in the movie right uh but the movie basically it was just everybody was just there was no mood for comedy in the uk at that time so the movie did not do it in the uk especially considering it's a canadian pretending to be british Mm. so there was that kind of like even not even a true british comedy uh, and America did okay. Uh, ended up making the fifty million worldwide, which wasn't as much as they had hoped, but basically what's what Roach and, and Myers expected more so than they were like, Okay, well this is just gonna be it for us. But the movie was one of those big gangbuster releases on home video. Uh VHS and the new hip uh concept of the D V D uh were just kind of, you know, and uh they they again New Line was all in. It was one of those first DVDs that had like good con- like good features on it with the you know what the what DVDs could do. Did a lot of money on on home video. That was
1: back p- in the day where you could still do that yeah. you can make a uh, let's make all our money on the home release.
0: Well, to the point where Roach and Myers were both pretty surprised when the studio asked them for a sequel mm-hmm. and uh they Roach has said that they never told them the home video numbers uh but they basically like that's what saved the movie and that's what gave him an the opportunity to do two more uh so they do two two more movies Spy, Who shagged me uh and gold member uh spice shack me is like 99 and gold member is like 2003 i believe um and both of those movies are much more successful hits uh to the point where it's made just under 500 million dollars worldwide <laughs> um and, again, those characters became indelible icons of pop culture. Mike Myers has said that he knew he had something when he was walking around London and he saw, like, a group of Austin Powers. Like, he was at some parade, I guess. I mean,
1: people do. People are still dressing up as, like, Aust- Austin Powers. Good co- yeah. I mean,
0: it's like they're – I mean, it's, I joked the first time we did, but there's a reason we did October. It's Halloween. It's, yeah. like, good, easy costumes to do. And it's so easy to do the impressions, too. It's, like, really, like, a yeah, baby. Or mm-hmm. when, you know – throw me a pick-
1: throw me a freaking bone, bone here <laughs> like yeah uh, so um, good so good
0: and uh basically uh that it became an indelible uh icon of of the 90s and uh the first movie was pretty well reviewed um to an extent you know in that kind of 70 75 rotten tomatoes range so not you know but it's like that's it's a comedy uh especially like a kind of dumb comedy mm. uh so sometimes the, the critics aren't on top of it but There was a lot of love for uh, Myers' performance and just kind of the the silly nature of the movie and the commitment it has to that silly nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And people still take to these movies, and they're asked all the time, are you going to do a fourth one? And again, I'm sure Myers sits every day just maybe hoping for the phone call that they wanted to develop a fourth movie. Um, But I'm sure... I won't be surprised if within the next like five years we we get like one more Austin Power. movie. I,
1: I I kinda want it. I do want it. But you know what I want to know more? Who's Harrison Ford in this movie? Oh, uh, boy, who's Harrison? He Ford? would probably just play like the president yeah. or something. I mean, it would just yeah. be a very simple role. Yeah. Um, it would just be like, like we he, got Harrison Ford in this.
0: He could have been like the general at the beginning when Clint Howard is like talking about the big boy. Yeah. In the in the sky. He could have just been like, Get me to London. What about that silly joke where like the generals, like he calls the guy. He's like, "Get me my bag and feed my goldfish." Like that was another like really <laughs> su- stupid joke. Uh, but he would probably be somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, or else he'd be in like uh, like kind of a another ex- like another executive at at Virtucon who doesn't know about any of the Doctor Evil stuff, and mm-hmm. he walks in like, "What the hell is this?"
1: Yeah, I definitely think like uh, like the president. I think that would be that would be, be really the easy good. One. Though a, a funny joke would be if he was like like, you know, prime minister of like (laughs) Britain. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't put on a British accent. Right. Exactly. He's just Harrison. That would be a good, a good Austin Powers joke. I would like that. Um, Oh,
0: don't, yeah. Don't forget that, uh, you know, what if he was one of the people that was actually a man, you know, it was like, he was one of the people in disguise.
1: It's a man, baby.
0: (laughs) When he punches, uh,
1: Basil's mother. Yeah. Yeah. It's my mother. (laughs) Oh my god! <laughs> just like well, she is very mannish. She got to look like she got hit with the ugliest.
0: I only fear just, oh, just I'm so, so thinking, juvenile. I'm still thinking of more jokes where it's just like I only fear two things: nuclear weapons. What what's the other thing? Oh yeah,
1: because it's like yeah, and he's like uh, um, because he said he phrases like there's it's like I only fear two things, and nuclear weapons is one of them. <laughs> the other thing connies.
0: that was also circus
1: folk nomads (laughs) yes smell um, like cabbage
0: (laughs) that was i i the last story before we move on to like you know what's coming up next yeah is that that was like a late night improvised thing oh really it was basically like it was like four in the morning and that was like the last one and it was like the best take because it was the only one that roach and hurley didn't laugh at uh-huh. So you can because if you look closely in that scene, you can see Meyer starting to break himself uh-huh. because he's so tired. Uh-huh. But they were like, "Well, Hurley didn't laugh at that one. I didn't laugh at that one, so we're good to use that's it." That's funny. But like, there's a lot of like, yo, know, there's probably a lot of improv on the cutting room floor that's like hysterical. Oh, I'm sure. Probably like like the. Extra footage of this movie is like right up there with like the Blaze of Glory alternate take sequences. Nice. Which is my favorite, all time favorite alternate take sequences.
1: Man, now you just got me thinking about a fourth one. Imagine all like the the new comedians and the you know, like like you you, oh, get, you would get like Keegan Michael Key. You in gotta there. get you would have to get Kate McKinnon yeah, in this. Yeah, movie. Kate McKinnon. Kate would McKinnon, would be McKinnon there. playing like a
0: cartoon character against Austin Powers would be amazing. I can like, see it. Like you basically would get all the current SNL She
1: would be like the new Frau.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Like she would be, yeah, she'd definitely be part of Dr. Evil. Either that
1: or you make her like a um like a Fam K Jensen, like her character. Oh yeah. And like uh th-
0: yeah. Or I could I could see her like, easily if the, if you did the thing where like she's working with with Austin for a little bit, but she's actually working for Doctor Evil. Right. But, but they do like a thing where like she's like a triple agent, she's working for someone
1: else completely. Yeah. 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 I want it. I want it now. All Make right. it. Come on, guys. Come we'll, on, we'll new ca- line.
0: We'll call him, we'll call Get Mike your shit together. We'll call Mike Myers. I'm sure he's not <sighs> doing anything.
1: I was, was happy we saw that one. Good laughs. Good times yeah. all around. Um, so that wraps up this episode yeah. uh for this week. Um Wow, Nick, you keep on bringing me good treats for yeah. this uh for these Bond adjacent movies. Yeah. And uh you did inform me that you know where we're going next time.
0: Yeah, so next time, I think this one's long overdue for us. November, you know, November's coming up. We got Thanksgiving. It's a very American holiday. Mm -hmm. And uh, what better way to celebrate Thanksgiving in America by talking about one of the ultimate Americans, a favorite of the Bonzilla podcast.
1: Oh, no. We're going to talk about
0: Harrison Ford. Oh, no. We're going to talk about Jack Ryan. Oh, no. We're going to take a look at the second Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan movie, Clear and Present Danger.
1: (sighs) He did break the law. You broke the law. You broke the law.
0: That's, by the way, already, that's our quote for that movie. There's no way that's not our quote <laughs> 100%. for that movie. Uh, But we're all gonna, right. Okay, good. And we're gonna I, take I a, We're going to finally take a, we, we've talked about Jack Ryan back in the day when we did our winter our marathon almost a year ago because yeah. it was around your birthday because they got that. you that gift. Yeah. But I think it's finally take a little bit of a deeper dive, not a deep dive, not just yet, but a deeper dive
1: into the world of Jack Ryan. Sounds good. But next time is not a james bond episode is a godzilla episode and nick we are finally gracing our audiences with the end of the millennium era and what better way to go out than with a bang with not just a war but the final war in godzilla final wars not
0: just one kaiju not just two kaijus
1: many kaiju a a whole a gaggle of kaiju
0: a smorgasbord of kaiju yeah
1: yeah i wonder what what would you call like a like a a, a thing of of kaiju like a like a plot of kaiju like a like a kingdom of kaiju i guess a kingdom because it's like oh king of the monsters right so yeah yeah a court a court of kaiju not like court like a like not like milk like a court like a you know, yeah, King yeah, Arthur's yeah, court. No, yeah, I did think you said court. Yeah, it, it sounded like court. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, but yes, the end of the millennium era is upon us, and I can't wait for us to revel in the absurdity and the insanity that is Godzilla: Final Wars. Yeah, yeah. But until then, I'm done. You're done. We're done. Good night, everybody. Nick, plug away. All right, and I'm yeah. gonna go to bed.
0: We have BonZillaPod at gmail.com. We have uh, Twitter.com slash BonZilla007. Facebook.com slash BonZilla007. Like and subscribe, iTunes, and SoundCloud.
1: All right. Well, until next time. I'm Will. (laughs) I'm tired. Oh, oh, behave, Nick. (laughs) Well,
0: I was going to say, so I'm Nick. You're Will. And we can't forget Will that there is a Godzilla joke in Goldmember. So there is also a connection to Well, I mean, there
1: is, but due to international copyright laws, it's not. Still, <laughs> we should run like it is Godzilla. <laughs> All right, play the theme. <laughs>